Welcome to the Way Home Podcast, where we feature conversations on church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, and I'm joined here by my colleague and friend, Lindsay Swartz. Lindsay, can you say hi to the audience? Hello. Thanks for having me on. So Lindsay is going to be joining us for our conversations here on the Way Home Podcast. Lindsay, can you share a little bit about your background, how you came to ERLC? Sure thing. I hail from the great state of Florida, where I was born and raised, and right. I am a Florida Gator fan. Uh-huh. Not the fake kind, but I actually graduated from the University <laughs> of Florida, and I'm hoping that we have better football season this year. And um, I have come to Nashville in the ERLC by way of Louisville, Kentucky first, to stop there for eight years, then Niles, Michigan for two years, and now here in Nashville, and I love it. And somehow landed the job of managing editor of content. And so it's a privilege and it's so fun to get to work on the team. Yeah. So we hired you away from Revive Our Hearts with Nancy Lee DeMoss. And That's so right. I don't think she's forgiven us yet, but it yes. was like, it was like, you know, signing a big free agent, you know. I think the word team. was that you sniped me. Yes, so. we did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when the Cavs signed LeBron James. It was very similar, uh, right? No, not at all. So, well, today we're going to talk uh, with Aaron Davis, who's the author of a great new book, uh, Connected, Curing the Pandemic of Everyone Alone Together. Uh, Lindsay, you really enjoyed this book. Uh, maybe tell us why the subject is hitting a nerve with, with so many people. Well, I can speak from my perspective. I am currently in the single stage of life, and I don't come from a Christian family. And so it's just easy to feel lonely and to feel alone and to feel like you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on social media, and it, I have however many hundreds of friends on Facebook. Thousands. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's not thousands. But it's easy. I've described it to other friends that I can feel a mile wide and an inch deep in friendships. And I can see them come and go, and I'm just hungry for somebody that's going to stick it out with me because, as is used in the um, in ch- for children who are in, adopted into families, it's their forever family. Well, the Church of Christ is our the body of Christ is our forever family, and yeah. so I, I want us to feel like that is actually the case. Yeah, and I was particularly interested in the subtitle where she talks about the pandemic of everyone alone together. So. We're we're all connected, but but yet we're really uh, still alone. And, and that social media is good, but it doesn't feed our ultimate needs. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a great conversation. Before we begin our conversation with Aaron, I just want to let you know about two uh, really cool things here at ERLC. First, we launched our Leland House Press uh, a little bit earlier this year, where we publish uh, ebooks. And my ebook just came out. It's called Engage: Maintaining a Christian Witness Online. Just a short little book talking about how to uh, be a Christian. In, in our online engagement. It's normally $2.99, but if you use the coupon code WAYHOME, in all caps, WAYHOME, you can get it for free. Secondly, I want to invite you to save the date, August 5th, for our second annual national conference. Our theme this year is the gospel and politics. We're very, very excited about this as we head into an election season, trying to think through how Christians should engage the presidential election and politics. Dr. Russell Moore, our president, will be there along with other evangelical leaders such as uh, Sammy Rodriguez and Michael Gerson, who was a speechwriter for President George W. Bush, and he is an op-ed writer for uh, the Washington Post, an influential thought leader, and so he'll be there and many others. Uh, We'll be discussing Christian cultural engagement and the presidential election. I have a coupon code for this conference as well. It's the same code, WAYHOME all caps, and you get a 15% discount. Find all this information on my website, danieldarling.com. 
But for now, let's join our conversation with Aaron Davis. Well, Aaron Davis, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we are here to talk about your book, Connected. And I think this is kind of an interesting thing you've written about and a good thing. The subtitle is Curing the Pandemic of Everyone Feeling Alone Together. So that would kind of seem like an oxymoron to feel alone right. together. But is that really what's happening today with social media and sort of being connected but being more isolated? I do. I think we're in many ways more connected than we've ever been. So that's the title. I mean, we have we have Facebook friends and we have Twitter followers and um, many of us have a network of real life friends too. But what I found from my own life and then what backed, we backed up from our own focus groups and then just um, social science was that we are more isolated than we've ever been. So Somewhere there's a breakdown. So we're connected to other people, but somehow we're isolated and lonely and our relationships lack depth. So it is a bit of an oxymoron. And I think that's why it's a little bit slippery too, because people think, well, I have people in my life and I have things going on, but I have this ache to know and be known. And it's hard to figure out what's going on there. Aaron, I was just listening to a podcast that was talking about the effects of Facebook and social media, and I know we can't blame all of this on that, but he was saying that we think our connectedness is via relationships online, but God hasn't made us online creatures. We have a body, and it's with our body that we're able to be around each other and communicate uh, through our presence our relational love for one another, and we've lost a lot of that. And he was saying that we really need to get back to sharing meals together in our bodily presence. So would you suggest something like that? Do you see that people are thinking that their online relationships are real relationships? Yeah, I mean, you're right. We can't blame social media. I think maybe what social media does is just put a magnifying glass over problems that have always existed. So loneliness isn't new. And I think people can kind of recoil when they think, oh, gosh, they're going to have a ceremonial burning of my eye stuff. I don't want to do that. But I do think we have to get real about the opportunity cost. So, you know, we make a swap. And um, I do think if we were honest, we would all kind of have to admit that having relationships strictly online isn't translating into the intimacy we all crave. And so I do think that, you know, the answer is not to get rid of social media. It's, Mm -hmm. it's here to stay, but some simple things like that you mentioned, yes, we need to be sharing meals together. Yes. We need to be going to birthday parties, calling somebody and wishing them happy birthday instead of just writing it on their Facebook wall. Um, we do need human connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Social scientists have recently coined this phrase skin hunger, which Mm. skin hunger is, think of it like the adult version of failure to thrive. So like a baby has failure to thrive. Um, They just can't grow. They they get overstimulated. And that's what's happening with adults. We have skin hunger because, you know, we're not being touched throughout the day. We're not hugging. We're not interacting with our bodies, like you said. And so we kind of develop this this anemia of spirit Mm -hmm. um, that just isn't being fixed through social media. That's that's really interesting. You know, the, the rise of social media and just like the fact that we all have smartphones, you know, there's a the temptation, even when we're with people and we're gathered, like the first thing we do is we kind of look down at our phones and we kind of ignore the people with us. 
for the people who we might be connected to online. And it, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon, if you if you will, or, or like if things get awkward at a dinner party or a birthday party or something that we're at, like that's the easy retreat instead of kind of working through that, right? We can just kind of right. ignore it and withdraw. So there's a kind of a sense, right, of of sometimes we're present but not really present. Right. Yeah. And so, it's not, yeah. and, and, and it's, and that, it, that's what's hindering the intimacy, you know? I mean, uh, you, we all see it in restaurants or planes or wherever we go. Husbands and wives can be side by side, but they're locked into their phones. Parents and children can be in proximity to each other, but they're missing really connecting with each other. And so you're right. What did we do with awkward moments before we had smartphones? Now, if you're in an elevator, everybody's staring at their <laughs> phone. And But I think, I think we are missing some opportunities for a deeper level mm-hmm. of connection. Well, in your, in your own life, I know you and your husband, Jason, have simplified a little bit and made some decisions to get rid of a, a little bit of the noise while you still have three little boys and you're still busy. So have y'all made any changes in your life to try to combat this loneliness pandemic? Well, this book was really born out of what I call the seismic shifts in our lives. So we, Jason was on staff at a church and had been for about 12 years. And so the, our church, and I think rightly so, was the hub of all of our social interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but he took a new job at a parachurch ministry. And so we left our church to make room for the new person to come in, but we stayed in our community. And all of those relationships just ceased to exist. Mm. And it was amicable. There was no big stink or blowout, but we went from just being totally scheduled all the time. And I would have told you that I had many friendships and Mm -hmm. lots of relationships. I was very fulfilled in that way to someone just like pulling the emergency break and nothing to do and no one calling and no, no relationships really. So that's where I had to kind of wrestle with, Oh, that was all really built on convenience. And I Mm -hmm. didn't really know them and they didn't really know me. Mm. And it was a very painful season. And so, you know, the Lord in that, Dark Valley kind of showed me through his word, his plan for relationships, and that I was basically doing it all wrong. And I wanted to do it differently. So we we kind of are a couple who lives in extremes. So we got pretty radical. Mm-hmm. We, we left the city we were in. We moved to the country. We bought a farm. And we just were like, how are we going to do relationships differently? And um, we really decided busyness was kind of a Trojan horse in our life. We wielded into our lives thinking it was a gift and it really turned and attacked us. So we are anti-busyness at the Davis household. And that means, you know, our kids aren't involved in a lot of things. We don't go to a lot of birthday parties and baby showers. And we just, we just refuse to get on the hamster wheel. And that seems kind of counterintuitive because you think, well, you need to be busy being with people, you know, to have relationships. But we swapped busyness for intimacy. And so we try not to do that. Um, we, I especially can be a bit of a media hermit. I'm kind of a hippie and just would Mm -hmm. rather be in my garden. (laughs) So, um, we don't have television, for example. Um, I don't have, I'm not on Facebook. And so I will admit that we've taken things a little bit extreme probably, but Farm living doesn't have to be the life for you in order to have intimate relationships. I think um, we just really evaluated where we'd made swaps 
we'd, we'd kind of swapped convenience for intimacy, busyness for intimacy, a lot of noise for intimacy. And so we really changed those things. But that might not be the situation for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think what we did right was we went, wait a minute, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And what can we do to make it work? And the moral, you know, the story has a happy ending. We have, we have very rich relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, while I would not say that I have many friends, I would say that I have a handful of friends that really know me and I really know them. And so it's a good trade. Right, it is. Aaron, I'm a, I'm a father of four. And so I've seen where being too connected to my phone can really hurt my parenting. And so yeah. I'm guessing I'm not the only one that struggles with that, although maybe I'm an extreme example. My wife might say, I don't know. It's something that we, we really wrestle with at our house. And so... I mean, maybe talk to parents and what are some ways that we can, I guess, balance that. I mean, we're obviously not going to be able to go back to a previous time. Social media is here to stay. Smartphones are here to stay. The kind of connectedness is here to stay. But what are some things we could do in our parenting, both modeling it, but also teaching our kids good, healthy digital habits, if you will? Well, I'm a parent of three, and my oldest is only seven, so I'm always hesitant to dish out parenting advice. But um, I do think those of us who are parenting small children in this age, it's a brave new world. Like mm-hmm. Parents haven't had to really wrestle with their children's exposure through so- to things through social media and how our own use of social media is impacting our parents. I know that for my husband and I, um, our work relationship, work-home relationship is very different than it had ever been in any previous generation. We both work from home. We both could work 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. um, and we never can really turn work off. So we we really struggle with that. And we're kind of constantly evaluating it and constantly trying to figure out where we've basically messed up and where we can pull back. And we haven't found magic formula, but what we do is it's constantly on the table. And so we're constantly talking about are we working too much? Are we on our phones too much? Are computers too much? But um, one simple thing that I think we've done as parents that I'm proud of and I think is working is we've taught our own children not to fear solitude. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. And I think solitude is a little bit of a lost art. Um, and so we have quiet time in our home, even with our small children, where they just have to sit on their beds. It's not a punishment. It's not a timeout. Mm-hmm. They can look at a book. But they can't be on a tablet. They can't be on a phone. They they just have to be quiet. And I think maybe that's equipping them to not constantly having to be run running to a screen um, to to feel that when they feel angsty, when they feel lonely, um, that they can kind of wrestle with that on their own. I know that's simple, but we just try to make them okay with solitude and quiet. And um, of course, we have to do that too. So the temptation is when the children are having quiet time that mama gets on her laptop Mm -hmm. and spends her quiet time online. And so I have to kind of model that a little bit better, but we're also just constantly having these conversations um, about loneliness and solitude and Mm -hmm. how much media is good and what it does to their brains and, and why, you know, it's addictive and all those things. Erin, you have a chapter in your book, titled When Loneliness is Your Teacher. And loneliness is just a result of the fall, and it's going to be around. We're never going to cure, obviously, everyone being lonely. I've experienced it in my own life. So how can loneliness be our teacher? Um, Maybe 
speak to some of the examples that you used in your book, but how can we grow in our walk with the Lord in the midst of hard seasons of loneliness? So we interviewed many, many women of different ages and really kind of all around the country for this book, trying to trying to find patterns. And what we found was that often loneliness came in seasons. So mm-hmm. um, new moms felt lonely because they were isolated at home, or empty nesters felt lonely because suddenly their nest was empty, or um, women who were caring for aging parents felt lonely because um, that was also isolating. But there were some women who um, experienced loneliness in seasons, Mm -hmm. and there were some women who loneliness seemed to kind of unpack its bags and stay in their lives. It wasn't a seasonal thing for them. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wanted to figure that out. And I think the women who used seasons of loneliness to really press into the Lord to evaluate their own relationships, um, I think that loneliness ended up being a gift for them, and they would say that. They mm-hmm. they had to kind of look at it and go, okay, where where is the train off the tracks? And um, our shared friend, Nancy Lee DeMoss, often says that anything that makes us need the Lord is a good thing. So right. it would be good. Those seasons of loneliness were good because they would suddenly be re-aware or aware for the first time of their need for intimacy with the Lord. Aaron, but those um, women who didn't do that had chronic loneliness. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I, I wanted to press in on that a little bit. You know, uh, one of the things that was interesting when, when our family moved here to Nashville a couple of years ago from Chicago area where I'd been born and raised, one of the things I didn't, I didn't realize until we got here was just, you know, not kind of having your support network and your friends around you and kind of there is a sense of loneliness even though you got new coworkers that you like and you've got neighbors and friends in town that you've known and um one of the things that was interesting for us was just how intentional we had to be to build those friendships and you know right. now we're 2 years in and we've got some rich friendships with people in our neighborhood and our church but there really is an intentionality right to to building the kind of good friendships it doesn't just it sort of doesn't just happen right no i and i think that's a misconception we we think intimacy is something that will fall into our laps, and it just doesn't. It doesn't. Intimacy with the Lord doesn't work that way. Not because of Him; He He's always available to us and longs to know us, but because of us. And with people, it's the same way. And we know that in our marriages and with our children, we know that on some level. But on some other level, we think, why? Why is nobody calling me? Why do my friendships seem shallow? Why? Right. Why is this happening? And so, you know, I think loneliness can press us towards asking hard questions, and being really intentional mm-hmm. in our relationships. Well, and the other aspect of intentionality, I was talking with a friend about this, is building relationships with people across various seasons and stages and ages. We right. tend, I tend to gravitate toward people that are like me, and we can commiserate in our <laughs> seasons, whatever we're struggling with. And uh, so how, how can we be more intentional on that? Is it just a matter of praying about it and doing it? Well, I think that's the Lord's model for the church. We see it in Titus 2, that that God's game plan for us to learn the nuts and bolts of life is for older men to be teaching younger men and Mm -hmm. older women to be teaching younger women. But part of what we seem to have lost in the way that society is structured is some of that. I mean, most of us live nowhere near our mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. We live nowhere near our grandparents or even our siblings. And so some things that might have happened a little more naturally 50 years ago, I might have learned about life 
at the dining room table with my extended family aren't happening. So Mm -hmm. I I do see, at least in women's ministry, a desire to see Titus 2 mentoring happening, but we're all a little bit rusty in um, Mm -hmm. how to have those kinds of relationships. So I think there is kind of an awkward phase where you have to go, I see an older woman or an older man, and I see something I really respect in them, and I don't know how to graft my life into them, but I'm just going to try it and see how it goes. Right. Well, Aaron Davis, I appreciate you joining us on, on the podcast. This is a really good conversation, a needed conversation, and a really uh, important book that you've written, uh, Connected, and I, I hope everybody gets this book and reads it. This is an ongoing problem in our generation, so thank you for for writing this book and for speaking of your own struggles with this and for uh, being with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to thank Aaron Davis for that really good and stimulating conversation. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, would you please let us know by emailing us at wayhome at erlc.com or better yet, writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher wherever you download the podcast. If you're interested in more conversations with Christian leaders like this one, uh, we've talked to David Platt, Matt Chandler, Molly Hemingway, and others. Uh, Please check out the podcast page at danieldarling.com, or you can subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. You can also find information about our national conference on the gospel and politics, and about my free ebook, Engage, Maintaining a Christian Witness Online. But until then, thanks for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Mm -hmm.